Everyone doing good? All right. For everybody listening at home, just give them a holler right now so they can hear you. All right. Um, am I fitting in the screen okay there? All right. Um, so we're talking about the Song of Songs. How many of you read the Song of Songs this week? All right. So Bible in a Year, Song of Songs. Question for you. Would you like to have a mediocre marriage? <laughs> no, of course not. But I got to tell you, a long time ago, before I was married, I was driving in a car with my boss, who had been married for 30 years. And we're chit-chatting about life. And I was just um, checking, uh, uh, asking different questions and such. And I had asked him, you know, what's it like, you know, being married 30 years? And his response to that took me, you know, kind of caught me off guard. He said, it's like living in a rut. He was stuck in a rut. Folks, this is not the guy we want to speak at our next marriage dinner, okay, next year. His marriage was mediocre. Maybe you feel that way about your relationship right now. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have a great marriage. It's uh, um, perfect. You don't need it to improve. If so, you probably don't need to hear this message. But if you want to have the best marriage, and if you are possibly single today, and someday you'd like to have a really great marriage, then this is something you really need to hear because these are three prayers this morning that I have for you, three prayers to build the very best marriage. Three prayers. Now, these prayers are not a formula for success. I mean, let's face it, anybody who's been married a while understands marriage has a lot of different things happening, different factors, and there's a lot more to it. It is hard work. Can I get an amen if marriage is hard work? All right, don't yell too loud if your spouse is next to you, all right? But here's the thing, you cannot neglect prayer. Prayer must be a cornerstone habit in your marriage. You must pray for one another. And here's the thing I've learned, prayer doesn't change the other person. Prayer will not change your spouse. Prayer changes you. Prayer has to change you if you're going to have the best marriage. Change your perspective. So, let's start with prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, I thank you for this day and this opportunity that I have to preach your word. May this message change us, transform us. May it be a blessing to us. Uh, may we see in the Song of Songs um, not what many have seen. That's just a, a poem. It's just poetry. It's, it is truly a message to us to understand what the best marriage is. We can see this in the scripture. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. All right, I'm going to click off this monitor. I can hear some uh, feedback. All right, so Bible in a Year, Song of Songs. Solomon wrote many songs. As we know, he wrote Proverbs. He wrote many words of wisdom. But he also wrote a lot of songs. We don't really have them in the Bible. We just have one, which tells me one thing. It was the best. It was the song of all songs, right? I mean, Jesus is the best. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the King of all kings. So clearly, we have the best song that Solomon ever wrote, right? This is the one he is known for. In this Song of Songs, we see three parts to it. We have the engagement, we have the wedding, and we have the marriage. We're going to start with the engagement. It starts in the very beginning, verse 1 of chapter 1. It goes all the way to chapter 3, verse 5. So that first part of Song of Songs, 
from 1-1 to 3-5 is really the engagement. Now, before you can get engaged, you have to date, <laughs> right? So I'm going to talk a little bit about dating. Dating these days has certainly changed. Would you agree that it's different now than it was when you were dating last? <laughs> All right, I thought so. Dating can be really hard. It can be very difficult. I, I, don't, I know that we're not supposed to be envious of um, other people, but honestly, I'm envious of Adam. Adam never had to date anyone, right? I mean, think about it. He didn't have to pray, God, is it your will for me to marry Eve? She was it. <laughs> that was all there was. I'm sure Adam would joke with Eve. Like, I like to joke with my kids. I've told them when they were younger, I said, you know what, Ellie, you are my favorite daughter. To Ethan, I would say, you are my favorite son. And at first, they're like, wow, you know? And then they realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm your only daughter. I'm your only son. But it's true. They are my favorite. They're my number one pick. I wouldn't have anyone else. And Adam told Eve, you're my number one pick, babe. All right? I love you, all right? I choose you and no other. I think that's where the, the wedding vow, right? That traditional wedding vow, I choose you and no other. I think Adam said it first, right? Because there was nobody else to pick, but he, he picked her. Now, dating is also really sped up. I think the, the speed of dating and, and how fast it goes, right? I mean, love moves really fast. These days, you notice this with young people, I think it moves a little bit too fast. Um, people fall in love, right, and then they just zip through these stages, and the next thing you know, they're planning a wedding. My mother is here today. She gave me great advice when I first started Jamie, uh, dating Jamie. She said, just wait a year before you make any major decisions. Wait a whole year. Just go through all the holidays together. Don't make any big decisions. And I tell you what, that was the best advice because that's what we did, and there was no pressure on the relationship, and we just built this foundation, and it was really nice. So here's my question for you if you are dating or if you might date in the future. Three questions for you to ask. So parents, you can kind of keep this in mind for your own children as they get older, and if you're dating, think about these three questions. Number one, can you take the scrutiny of your true friends and trusted family? Can you take their honest feedback? Right? We know love is blind, but can you take their feedback and take it in and understand it and hear it? Number two, can you date for just a year and not make any big decisions? Can you let it play itself out? And number three, can you trust me to counsel you and help you build a foundation for a healthy marriage? I think that the pastor does play an important role. I have done 20 29 weddings as an ordained minister. 29 weddings. Never once has a couple come to me and asked me, should we get married? It's always, we're getting married and we need that guy, that's you, to make it official. <laughs> they never come to me and say, should we get married? But, you know, um, I still take it seriously, right? I've had couples um, call me up because I, I, I really like um, how I do a wedding, and I, I've gotten um, compliments in the past, and I've had um, 
for example, one of them was my sister's uh, wedding a long time ago, and some of her friends, you know, said, hey, I really want your brother to do our wedding, and, and one of them in particular was like, you know, we want this wedding, and, and I said, well, you know, one of the things I do is I sit down with you, you know, several times, and we talk about what it means to, to have a godly marriage and so on, and they didn't want that. <laughs> so check me right off the list. <laughs> Moved on to the next guy or, or whoever um, was going to do their wedding. I don't know. It's not like I'm going to be like Robin Williams in that movie License to Wed, you know, where he put Mandy Moore and John Krasinski through those, those crazy, ridiculous situations that couples may find themselves in um, and, and, and tortured them. I don't know if you saw that movie, but it's pretty funny. License to Wed. I'm not that creative to do that, okay? So I'm not going to do that. But I do take my time. And I've helped uh, couples prepare them for marriage. It's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. Um, as I said, I meet with them several times. I go through a book called Preparing for Marriage. And as we go through the book together, I'm sort of the guide on the side, right? And I help them see, like, this book here, Preparing for Marriage, if you take your time, you go through it together, there's projects in there. This literally could take months if you do it right. And that's what I want them to do. I want them to take their time and see it. And it puts everything out on the table. It doesn't kind of, it maybe brings out maybe some secrets, some things they weren't comfortable talking about when they were dating, right? And so um, I like to get that out there and build a strong uh, marriage. Unfortunately, people don't always date that way today, right? They don't do that. They don't take their time. In fact, there's one thing that generally gets in the way of building a strong foundation for marriage, and that is that three-letter word. Go ahead. You can say it so I don't have to say it first. Sex. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. This is why Solomon gives extraordinary advice. Solomon's bride, actually, gives extraordinary dating advice. So it's, ladies, take it from this woman. Men, um, listen closely what this bride is saying in Song of Songs. Uh, actually, she says it three times in the book, um, twice here in this engagement part. But I'm going to read to you verse 5 of chapter 3. Verse 5 of chapter 3, Song of Songs. The bride says to the ladies of Jerusalem, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Take it slow, ladies. Take it slow, gentlemen. Know for sure that this is the right guy or girl for you. And how do you know? That brings me to the prayer, the first prayer. How do you know that this person is the right one for you? This is a prayer that you should pray all throughout your life until you're married, all through the dating process, right? They say, when you're dating, keep both eyes wide open, and when you're married, keep them half shut, <laughs> right? Prayer number one, God, is he your gift to me? God, is she your gift to me? Pray that prayer. Is this a gift to me? Think about it. Adam was alone in the garden, right? I mean, there's a period of time. We don't know how long that time was, but Adam had a job. He had a couple of jobs, actually. He was to take care of the Garden of Eden, and then he was also to name the animals. And I love this part in the Bible because it shows God has a sense of humor, right? Here's all of these couples, Right? Got a couple rhinosaurus, right? A couple elephants, right? A couple monkeys. And they're all going before Adam and he's naming them, right? And they all have 
together, right? They're, they're complete. There's a male and a female. But Adam is all alone, right? And so then God does his thing, first surgery ever, right? And bam, there's this wonderful woman named Eve. God gave Adam a gift. And Adam recognized that. He said, this is my gift from God. This, this is what you have given me. You have blessed me with this person. And that's the question we need to ask. That's the prayer we need to pray. God is this gift for me. God gave him a gift. He saw it. He was excited. If you want the best marriage, ask that question. I know sometimes people, depending on their age, they get so fixated on wanting to have that family and, you know, have a husband, have a wife, start a family, blah, blah, blah. And we're never, are we asking that question, is this the right person? Three things, come back to those three questions. Does the Holy Spirit give you peace about this? Right? Have you gone through the, and handled the, the uh, questions that your parents throw at you, the, your friends, your, you know, your family, all of that? And has your pastor properly counseled you through this process so that you can build this foundation? All of that is set in place. And you've prayed that prayer time and time again. Now you can get married. You guys ready for the wedding? Let me hear you. Ready for the wedding? Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> it's descriptive. <laughs> song, song of Songs 3, 6 through 5, 1. Is the wedding and the wedding night. The wedding and the wedding night. Now, traditionally... In America, what's the pinnacle of the wedding? Who is the pinnacle of the wedding? Who does everybody care about? The bride, right? When she comes down the aisle, everybody gets to see that dress. There's TV shows for crying out loud about that dress, right? It's all about her and her dress, right? The, everything is fixated on her. But that's our culture. In their culture, in Song of Songs, it's different. It's about the groom coming for her bride, right? That knight in shining armor, if you will, coming to rescue his lady. And that's what we see in Song of Songs. In this particular um, verses, I'm going to read to you, starting in 3.6, going all the way through verse 11. Solomon puts on quite a show because this is, after all, a royal wedding, right? You know how royal weddings are, right? We've seen them, Okay. Verse 6, what is the coming up? What is that coming up from the wilderness? Like columns of smoke. I mean, you know when you see smoke, you see it forever, right? For, far away, right? What is that perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it's the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords, an expert in war, each with its sword at his thigh against the terror by night. He's surrounded with these men, right, that would take your life. They're trained to battle. They're tough. They're mean. They're huge. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. I assume that's expensive wood. He made its post of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple, its interior with, inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Much work was put into this carriage that he's coming to get his bride with. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. 
What an awesome entrance, don't you think? What an amazing royal entrance. The wedding is on. He has come for his bride. And everyone is excited. So, he now has her. The wedding has taken place. And now the party's over. And the two of them are alone. It's the wedding night. This is where some people get a little uncomfortable in their seats, perhaps. But that's okay. All right? I'm still going to read it to you anyway. All right? He's delighting in her beauty. All right? This might make you blush a little. Um, but I'm going to read it anyway. You might remember back in 2015, by the way, I did a series of messages, five messages called God's Not Gray. It was when the book came out, or the movie actually came out, from uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. You might recall that, right? And there was this huge, like everybody was, you know, watching this movie. And it totally was not what God intended for sexual intimacy, right? So Fifty Shades of Grey came out. I came out with God's Not Grey, five messages back in 2015. And um, basically I said that sex is a gift from, from God for men and women who are married. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? It's a gift from God for two people who are married. And here they are, this married, happy couple, ready to enjoy God's gift to them. So Solomon begins with describing his wife's beauty, right? This is what he says. And uh, it's in chapter 4, verse 1. Now I'm going to tell you up front, ladies, okay? He's going to talk about a dove, a goat, a sheep, and a horse. And that's not very flattering, I understand. <laughs> but actually it was back then, okay? <laughs> He says, verse 1, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, um, your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Now, a dove's eyes were meant to say they were seductive. Seductive eyes. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. I picture black flowing hair. All right? Beautiful hair. Um, verse 2, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes, lambs, that have come up from the washing. She had really white teeth. <laughs> and then he says, all of which bear twins, not one of them has lost its young. Bonus, she's got all her teeth. <laughs> Symmetry. <laughs> Your lips, they're like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. She was very colorful. She had all her makeup on, just the way you needed to have it on. Verse 4, your neck is like the Tower of David, built on, in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. She stood out. She was one of a kind, is what he's saying. And then in verse 5, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. She had on a lily flower necklace that apparently accentuated her breasts. All right? She was dynamite, right? <laughs> verse 6, you can read for yourself. <laughs> The point here is that God's word clearly teaches that sex is meant for marriage. It's meant for the marriage bed. It's a gift from God for husband and wife. Verse uh, 24, chapter 2 of Genesis. 
uh, also repeated in in, uh, uh, Ephesians. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, they shall, uh, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One of the ways I remember this verse, it's the leave, cleave, and weave verse. You leave your parents, you cleave to your spouse, and you weave a family. The leave, cleave, and weave verse. Now, one suggestion that I always give to couples when they get married. I make this suggestion um, almost every time. I say to them, and I heard this, I think it's, it's wonderful. I say to them, listen, you're, you're going to be married. You know, we're going through this premarital counseling sessions. And I say, you're going to be married, and here's a suggestion for you. Take your TV out of your house. Don't have a TV, right? No television. Now, of course, things are a little different now, right? So I guess you'd have to say, you know, Cancel your Netflix subscription and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I say that because you don't need a TV. I mean, you got sex now, right? So <laughs> there's more to do. I'm kidding. That was supposed to be really funny. You guys are supposed to laugh that one. <laughs> What's the purpose of no TV for a year? Communication. To enhance the communication. So oftentimes, right, we fall into these routines. We get stuck in that rut. Right? We just sit down at dinner time, the TV goes on, right? We have these routines. Well, the purpose is you don't have a TV, you don't have to um, watch that, you can communicate. You can play games, you can talk, you can go for a walk. There's lots of things you can do. The point is, the whole first year, you're building up this foundation and you're establishing wonderful routines. And you pray this second prayer, prayer number two. Here's prayer number two. Thank you, God, for this gift. I mean, when you ask God, and think about it, if you've been praying for a very long time, is this the person that's right for me, God? Is this the person that's right for me? And you pray this over and over and over, and then you get married. Well, doesn't it make sense then to say, thank you, God, right? When you ask God for something, don't you thank him for it? Yes, absolutely, Right? I mean, you don't want to be that, you know, spoiled, rotten brat that asks, 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 begs, 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 and then you give it to them and then they run off, right? And they don't say thank you. Right? You want, you want to say, thank you, God. This is a wonderful gift. Thank you for this blessing in my life. No matter what your spouse has done lately, <laughs> thank you for this gift. And that brings us to the third part, the marriage, the actual marriage. So, We see, starting in uh, verse 2 of chapter 5, going all the way to the end, the marriage. Now, it doesn't take long. In fact, it's the first thing mentioned, that after the honeymoon is over, there is now conflict in the marriage. So if you read chapter 5, verses 2 through 8, you will see they have a conflict. They're not getting along. Shocker, right? Why are couples having conflict? Reason number one, you're human, (laughs) right? You're human. You fall short of the glory of God, right? If you're human, you will have conflict. Reason number two, you are very different humans. (laughs) Men are different than women, are they not? Absolutely. Men think showering is an option. Ladies shower once a day minimum. Men, when asked, how was your day? think a one-word answer is sufficient. Ladies, at least a hundred. At least a hundred. When the big game is on TV, men need to concentrate. Women want to spark up a conversation when it's the fourth quarter. Men, when it comes to sex, 
Instapots. Ladies, Crockpots. Because we are so different, there will always be conflict in marriage. Some of you are going to get that, like on a drive home, you're like, why? Why is there conflict in marriage? Because we're different, right? But that's why we need to have healthy communication skills and we need to learn how to forgive a lot. We need to learn how to forgive a lot. It reminds me of a story. i probably heard it before. Um, if, if you've ever been to one of my weddings, I usually share this story at the wedding. But there's a grandma who wants to teach her granddaughter about a healthy marriage. And so she calls her uh, granddaughter into her room. And in her room, in the closet, is this box that is locked up. Right? Grandpa's never seen what's in this box. So grandma opens it up, shows her granddaughter. It's inside the box. Inside the box is $100,000 and a couple of blankets that she crocheted. And the grandma tells the granddaughter, you see, every night that I would go to bed, before I go to bed, if I'm angry with your grandfather, I will crochet a blanket, and I will pray and ask God to help me forgive your grandfather. And the granddaughter says, wow, that's amazing, grandma. You only have a couple blankets. You must have had a very successful 50 years of marriage. And she says, no, sweetie, the $100,000 is from all the blankets I sold. <laughs> we must learn to forgive a lot, right? And we need to talk about things when they bother us. In chapter 7, we see they had conflict. They worked through it. They forgave one another. And now they are making up, rekindling their love. Song of Songs, chapter 7, verses 10 in 11. I think I might have skipped over one of the verses, but that was just the conflict that they were having. So verse 10, the conflict is over. She says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Once again, they're celebrating their love. Which brings me to the final prayer, prayer number three. Probably the most important prayer, I think, for couples that have been married longer than a year once the honeymoon is over. Here's the prayer. God, I receive you again today. God, I receive from you this gift today. Over and over and over again, you must understand your spouse is not a gift that you got 20 years ago. It's a gift that you have today, right now. This is a gift that you have. Make that your consistent prayer. Remember your vows, maybe, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health? Every single day, you receive your lawfully wedded husband, your lawfully wedded wife. Now, a little exercise for you to help you understand that this is all about your focus, what you choose to focus on. Here's a question for you. Can you come up with one annoying habit of your spouse? Just off the top of your head, I know it's going to be hard, okay, but just one annoying habit of your spouse. Now, if you pull out a list, we're going to need to set up a counseling session, <laughs> all right? If you have one annoying habit of your spouse in your mind right now, imagine if you were to dwell on that every single day. Like, that's all you thought about was that annoying habit 
and you just waited in anticipation for them to do it, and then you just be like, oh, gosh, every single time. If that was your focus, what kind of marriage would you have? You would have a marriage stuck in a rut. But if you focused on something else, if you focused on a gift that you have received from the Lord, what would your marriage be like if every day you prayed, God, I receive her as a gift from you. I receive him as a gift from you. What kind of marriage would you have then? Prayer number three, God, I received your gift again today. I give you three prayers for the best marriage. These prayers will not change your spouse. They will change you because they will give you the right perspective. Amen?